All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the MoneyWise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay. In the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1.3%. The S&P 500 last week was down 2.2%. And the NASDAQ last week was down 4.1%. Now, we just finished the month of June. So let me uh, go through those numbers real quick. For the month of June, the Dow was down 6.7%. The S&P 500 for June was down 8.4%. And the NASDAQ for the month of June was down 8.7%. And finally, we just finished the second quarter of 2022. And so for the second quarter, the Dow was down a little over 11%, 11 and a quarter to be exact. The S&P was down about 16.5%. And the NASDAQ was down 22.5% just for the second quarter. And finally, finally, we'll get to the year-to-date numbers because we did have a nice day on Friday, July the 1st. Uh, but for the year, the Dow is down 14.4. The S&P is down 19.7. And the NASDAQ for the year-to-date is down 28.9%. I know a lot of numbers, and we'll throw a few more uh, numbers at you. The second quarter of 2022 was the worst quarter since the first quarter of 2020 when COVID hit there in March. And the first six months of 2022 was the worst first six months for the year since 1970. And that's for the S&P 500. That's for the S&P 500. So that was 52 years ago, 20 years before Davidson Capital Management started. Kyle wasn't born. Joe, I think you'd I was born, born in 1970. You were born in 1970. I expect birthday cards from our listeners, by the way. Too. I was four <laughs> the last time this happened. So, you know, I, I, there's no other way to describe Brutal. it. Brutal. It was, second a, it, was, it was a very difficult second quarter. Um, you know, for us as managers of money, you know, the theme for the second quarter for us was we were reducing stocks at multiple points. Uh, through uh, April, May, and June. 
Uh, we also had increased our our uh, investment in uh, our treasury short. My treasury short. Thank you, Kyle. We increased that investment. We added uh, something brand new that we haven't done in our 33-year history of adding a position into a 90-day treasury. Uh, so that was something else that we did. We also um, increased our oil investment. During we the did increase. That's right. We did increase our exposure to oil. We were already overweight going into the beginning of the year, but became even more overweight in the second quarter uh, in the energy sector uh, for our overall portfolio. But, you know, just looking at our composite numbers, I mean, just looking at our individual stock and bond portfolios for the second quarter from a, from a composite standpoint, and for every client that is in this number, they've had to have been with us at least 12 months. You know, we were down 7.16%. Now, compared to the S&P being down over 16.5%, this is what we talk about on this radio show, that there are times in your portfolio where you can go on the offensive. And as I say, you've got that sword in your hand and you're going on the offensive. But there are other times in certain market conditions where the, the only thing you can do is play defense and put that shield up. And so, as Jeff had said, pretty much from the beginning of this year when we did our massive rebalance and we diversified away from the single stock risk in all of our portfolios, whether you're in our asset builder program, which is a combination of no-load mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, or you're in our individual stock and bond portfolios, we did this across the board in every single asset allocation model that we have here at Davidson Capital to get away from single stock risk. And we did that on January the 3rd, as well as the significant changes that we made on the fixed income side of the portfolio. Jeff, you wanted to add yeah, something? I, I wanted you to you'd send some statistics before we started this weekend show about how many stocks we started the year with yes, and, and how many with stocks 60. we have now. We said we had well, 60 stocks at the beginning started, of the year. Correct. We started with 60 stocks. We are now down to 33 individual names. Uh, 72% of the individual names that we own pay a dividend of right, some but, shape and form. But that 30, you said 33 number? 33, correct. So out of those 33, there's five or six of them that are only half positions. That they're is correct. Full, they're not even full positions. So if you that want to correct. do a little, uh, we're, prob- we're less than 30, you know, 30 full positions in stocks right now. And yes, Roughly. we've made a, a bunch of changes in the fixed income portfolio. I believe it was in February we did the majority of the changes reducing uh, we don't own any own any stocks. Uh, pardon me. We don't any own any bonds uh, that mature beyond the year 2024. That's um, correct. <clears throat> so we had sold all of 2025, all of 2026, anyone that had uh, maturities in 2027. We had sold our bond mutual funds years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than our most aggressive asset allocation, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't own any stock mutual funds in in our asset builder program. It's only exchange traded funds currently in our moderate and conservative correct. allocations. We we still we still own one no load mutual fund in the small cap space in our most aggressive asset allocation model. But majority of the clients that are in our most aggressive asset allocation have a much uh, longer, much, much broader risk capacity because they're younger in age. But we also do have some clients of ours that are retired and with a smaller portion of their overall net worth have allocated to our aggressive model just to get a little extra juice in their portfolio. But it's a very small percentage of their overall portfolio. And so as we take all this 
kind of package it up before we get here to the uh, end of the end of the hour into the first segment. Uh, we have we're about thirty five percent invested in stocks right now. Uh, little over twenty one percent invested in cash, just straight up cash, and the rest all in bonds or bond equivalent uh, or short long maturity uh, uh, fixed income securities. And so we would we would definitely try to motivate all of our listeners, as we always say on this program, know what you own, and you need to know how you're allocated in your portfolio, just like we described how we're allocated in all of our portfolios here at Davidson Cap. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just continue to recap the happenings of Wall Street from this past week. But before we went to break, we were just going over our total allocations of how we sit. You know, with the S&P 500 having the worst six-month start to a year going back to 1970, the NASDAQ having the worst start in its history, going, and the NASDAQ began in 1971, um, it has been a brutal first six months of 2022. Now, in all the conversations we've had with our clients over these past six months, and particularly this last quarter, you know, we're anticipating this to be more of a second half year because we know from the very beginning of this year with the Fed turning more hawkish with the inflation numbers that we're seeing, highs that we haven't seen in 40 years, we knew that the, the Fed was in full fight mode against inflation. And so we've seen this continuous repricing of the overall market, bringing the overall price earning multiple of the S&P 500. And so the, the Fed is fighting inflation. And I know that this past week we had the inflation number that the Fed typically looks at when it comes to making its decision, when it comes to making their decision on monetary policy, and that's the core PCE, which strips out volatile food and fuel, which is right now more than a 2.6% contributing factor to the 8.6% consumer price index read that we had last month. But that came out on the 30th, and so for May's core PCE came out at 4.69%. It was a decrease of 4.78% from the previous month of 4.92%, but it is still running above the historic average of 3.21%. But the bottom line is, is that the core PCE, it peaked in February, and it's been coming incrementally down ever since. And this last read is included in that continuously decreasing. So I did some calculations and kind of extrapolated that if we continued on this pace of about a 4.7% decrease in core PCE, it would take the economy to December of this year to get back to the historic long-term average of 3.21%. 
And I know that we've had conversations on this show of how long we're going to see persistent inflation, how long this was going to last. And we said that this was not going to be solved quickly and that all investors have to be patient in their portfolio and just keep patience with the economy and with inflation because this is going to take time to work itself out because it didn't inflation didn't get here overnight and it's not going to work itself out overnight. So, Joe, so was there you, something you wanted to add? I know well, there's something you wanted to add from the last segment. So I did. I did. It was more about knowing what you own and talking about the portfolio and mm-hmm. looking at benchmarks. But what it's setting up for is a very, very, let's just say, interesting second half of the year. If the numbers and the calculations that Kyle have come to fruition, plus you have midterms, and this situation with Russia and Ukraine look like it's going to be extended and, you know, it's going to be extremely interesting. And I don't know, I don't know if we're going to go into forecasting second half of the year, but I think yeah. the fourth quarter could be pretty, pretty uh, juicy well, to, say, well, to say the least. Well, well, I, I would say that the third quarter first. And yeah, but, I think the, the third quarter is going to be quite bumpy. And we've, we've yeah. seen some previews of, of of coming attractions here in the last week with a few earnings warnings. Uh, I didn't, I think uh, comments from who's the CEO of Meta. um, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. He didn't have very nice things to say about basically admonishing his employees. Hey, if you're low performing, you're out of here. Get back to work. If if you're moderate performing, uh, you know, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put my, my foot in your, in your rear end. And I think there's going to be some job. There's going to be some jobs, jobs going. There's going to be some companies talking about reviewing headcount. There's going to be, there's going to be some reports of, of companies, uh, freezing, uh, hiring. Uh, there's going to be a lot of earnings revisions. And the next thing that you, that's going to be said is, well, has it all been priced in? Has everything been priced in? We had the worst six months since 1970 for the S&P, the worst six months for the NASDAQ ever. It's got to all be priced in. Well, I'm sorry, but we're down 20% in the S&P. That's it. Now, we were down 20% in the S&P in the fourth quarter of 2018, and the Fed, and that's only because the Fed was threatening to raise interest rates, and they didn't actually do it, right? And we had a great 2019, and then we had a good 2020, and then COVID came, and the Fed said, we're throwing, you know, it's going to zero, and here comes all the cash from the government. So now we're down 20%, and everyone's just, going around saying, oh, that's it. We're not going down anymore. We've had the correction. You know, there's blue skies ahead. Let's write a couple of nice articles about Apple, you know, like J.P. Morgan writes a, uh, writes an article about Apple and Friday. It's going Joe, up 40% that, I, from I, here. Hey, everybody knows. Joe, not to, uh, hold everybody on. knows. No, I, now, I like to I go just, fishing, and Jeff right. bit for it. I knew if I sent that little article to him, I would get Jeff all riled up about Apple and you know, the analyst forecast, and it worked. Let it, I threw some plastic but, out there, but 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 but, but I'm going to give you some credit. You did some checking, Joe, because I wrote you back when you sent me that email. And I saw this article on Friday morning on CNBC about J.P. Morgan crowing about Apple is going to be up 40 percent from here. 
And I and I wrote you back and I said they must have a ton of clients at J.P. Morgan overexposed to Apple, and they need to get Apple up so they can get out. And you came back and said, "Well, guess what? Apple's their biggest holding, and what? It's their a large, large cap growth fund, but it's also large the largest holding." Fund. And a lot of large cap growth. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I also did a little bit more research. And you look at, there's a website called NASDAQ.com. And if you ever want some entertainment, and usually everything's a strong buy. And almost every major wirehouse and every almost every major major firm has Apple as a strong buy. NVIDIA is a strong buy. Microsoft Microsoft, is a strong buy. And Google Google is a strong buy. But to Jeff's point, just got a point. Every, I do think a lot of people still have different opinions on what's going to, what the what the forecast is going to look like in the third quarter. That's what makes it a market. That's what makes it a market. Exactly. I, I just, I'm just not buyers and sellers. I, I just can't, I can't reconcile that the market's only going to be down twenty percent when the Fed's still got a heck of a lot of work to do raising rates, and we got a ton of work to do on inflation. I just. I just don't see that it's only going to be down twenty percent, and that's but that's where we're at right now. I mean, to me, you know, if you would, if you just gave me no news in the background, I could you couldn't tell me what's going on with the Fed, you couldn't tell me what's happening in politics, you couldn't help me t- tell me what's going on with the war, and you show me this number, said, oh, that looks like a standard decline in a bull market. Wrong. This is not a bull, a standard decline in a bull market. This is the big, hairy, smelly bear that's going to get worse. Now, the question is, how much worse is it going to get? Now, I don't think we're going to close on lows for the year, and I do subscribe to Kyle's analysis that if we have these declines and they're fairly even, that we will get inflation down by the end of the year, and I don't think we'll close at the lows of the year but I do believe that we will reach lows between here and the election, and they're lower than nine, minus 19.7 on the S&P. Well, that's just, just my go, take. And it's going well, to start with these earnings. It's going to start with these earnings. We still, we still got our CPI number coming out. We have a CPI number and a Fed meeting before we really get into the meat and potatoes meat. of earnings. Yeah, well, but, but but the other thing, the other thing is, though, is that as far as the Fed continuing to raise rates, interest rates, as far as the eye can see, it's all going to be predicated on what is inflation doing. Now, on Friday, when we saw the rally that we saw, I think some of that was coming from, one, light volume, but, two, the ISM manufacturing number came out below expectations. And so now we're starting, we're starting to see this perversion in the market where bad news could potentially become good news because then that means the Fed and the interest rate increases they've done so far and the quantitative tightening they've done so far is finally starting to have an effect on inflation, manufacturing. It'll start bringing prices down, which then means the Fed can start to lift their foot off of the gas pedal a little bit on interest rate increases and where we could see if the Fed says, you know what, we're going to go back to 25 basis points or a quarter of 1% in interest rate increases and we might pause in the near term. That'll be seen as a dovish sign and potential fuel to start coming in and start seeing some buying coming into the market if they're anticipating the Fed becoming more dovish. So it all comes down to being data dependent. 
and it will take time for that to work itself out. But you're going to have to both hold y'all's thoughts because we have to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap Wall Street from last week, it, the kind of the point I was making with the rally that we saw on Friday, obviously a lot of traders, you know, off for the 4th of July weekend holiday. So we saw another very light uh, volume day on the markets. And we, again, we've had very light volume all year uh, for the most part. But I guess the point that I was making is that are we going to start to see the market react more favorably to some of these negative economic numbers because it's sending the signal that the Fed can be a little bit less hawkish? So I wanted to get y'all's opinions on that thought process or that comment. Jeff, if you wanted to say something, Joe. Joe go first. Well, I, wanted, I wanted to say something. When the market closed Friday, Micron gave some pretty negative forward guidance. And do you guys know, because Kyle sent me a nice little chart Friday about the different sectors in the S&P. Do you know what the worst performing sector in the S&P is here today? Semiconductors? It, yeah, exactly. Down a little over 37%. And I will say, yes, NVIDIA was down, KLA, a couple of our holdings. But Micron was not taken to the woodshed like I thought it would, like some of these tech stocks would have been two to three months ago. So that's – I don't know if that's a – I'm just trying but to it, give – But it was down. But it was down. But what would yeah, have been down? Was, that's I'm right. What would have, yeah, but to Joe's point, what would have been down six months ago? So what Joe's point I think he's trying to make is, and sorry, Joe, if I'm, I'm stealing your thunder, but from how Micron responded or how investors responded to Micron after its really downtrodden forward guidance is that it wasn't taken out to the woodshed 15 or 20%. Yeah, it was down. It was down slightly on Friday, but it wasn't like what you would have anticipated six months ago, which is saying that some of this negative forward guidance was priced in based on how it performed on Friday. And that one particular sector didn't bleed on to the entire index. So that's the other. I'm just trying to bring a ray of sunshine. It was, it was away isolated. from lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. So well, just I, 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 think Joe, I, I think what Joe and I are saying is that some a lot of this negativity, maybe more than than a lot of folks think that's out there in the, in the investment world, that a lot more of this negativity is already priced in because, yes, earnings are going to be extremely critical for the second quarter. If you're a CEO, you need to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to forward guidance and your overall numbers to keep your bar lower. But it is going to be on a stock-by-stock basis. Now, we did see the kind of contagion with what happened with Micron in NVIDIA, in Broadcom, in KLA. I mean, we saw that in some other semiconductor names, LAM Research, Applied Materials. We saw that kind of contagion from what Micron said. 
But again, all of these stocks have been taken out the woodshed. But you look at someone like a KLA, which deals in the semiconductor. They're more of a supplier of equipment, and they do some other things in the industry. I mean, this company has a forward price earnings multiple of 14. They pay a dividend, double-digit earnings growth, double-digit sales growth, going back to September of 2020. So this is still a fundamentally sound company that's gotten taken out to the woodshed with everybody else. But is this going to be a going interest 24, 36 months from now? I'm going to say yes. And when you're down 20, 30, 35% off 52-week high, if you've got a long-term investment horizon, this is a fundamentally strong company in a sector that is going to continue to grow. So, but the bottom well, line my, is... My question, to, would be, my question would be, why, with you know, hearing this report today that GM, General Motors, has 100,000 cars sitting in storage facilities, parking lots, that they can't deliver because they don't have the chips to finish them. But yet that whole sector is down the worst sector in the NASDAQ, as Joe said previously. Why is that? I can't seem to wrap my head around that, except for one thing. The market doesn't believe that whatever the growth rates they had previously can be extrapolated into the future. That's what the market is saying. Right now, that's why they're down. Or is down it saying they, they can't get the supplies to build the microchips? I mean, it doesn't. Whatever the market doesn't, the market doesn't believe their prospects in the future at this point appear to be as good as their prospects were two years ago. That's what the market is. That's why they're down so much now. But their price I earnings multiple I, I was I, very high. You, okay, their price earning multiple was high, and so as it we've seen get, with all the higher price earning multiple companies, they're getting reset. The, the valuations are coming down. The possible, get lower. Possible, but, get lower. but supply chains are, are extremely critical to get these supplies. Yeah, nothing we can do about it, supply chains. Nothing no, there they isn't. can do. Nothing government can do. Only people in time. That's all. People in time is the only thing that's going to heal that. That's I do right. want to answer your question about uh, that you posed at the beginning of the segment, uh, whether bad news is good news. Could um, we start to see that is really the question. Because we've seen this before, Jeff, where well, this kind of perversion I, of the market, the, let, which you coined. Well, okay. let me – I think the whole focus is inflation, which is driving the Federal Reserve's decision-making, and interest rates are driving the valuation question. And if the Fed is determined to slow the economy, then earnings have to slow along with the economy. We can't have earnings growing – with the economy slowing. It doesn't work. That's not the way capitalism works, right? So this battle, as we've been talking about, that's going on between the bullish and the bearish factions, they have their data. Bulls have their data. Bears have their data. So far, the bears have been right this year. And, yeah, if we get, if, do you really think the Federal Reserve is going to stop raising interest rates if the PCE number starts to decline by two tenths of a percent every month? And they, and they're going to say, well, we're going to extrapolate that out six months. So in six months, the number should be this. So therefore, the interest rate increases we put through so far, that's all we need to do. Heck no. 
No, that but is what not, they can, that's not okay. what they're going to do. They're no, going to no. overshoot. They're going to overshoot just like they overshot previously by keep you know, now we're Monday morning quarterbacking in here. We we never do that here on Dave on, on the Money Wise show, do we? We never Monday no. morning quarterback no. the only, only every day. Only every day. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. So now we're going to Monday morning quarterback them that they 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 kept the, the zero interest rate policy on far too long, primed the pump far too much. Assets all over the spectrum, you name it, ran up far too much. And now the chickens are coming home to roost. And I, I just, I don't think that you're going to get, uh, so so the Fed decides that's not cut or not raise 75 basis points. They raise 50 basis points after the next meeting, which you probably can take to the house. They're going to raise at least 75 basis points, if not a full percent. If this next CPI number that comes out doesn't show much progress. I don't know if the market's ready for that. The market certainly earnings. No one, no these 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 analysts and earnings. You and I and Joe all know that they have not done diddly squat with these earnings numbers. Diddly squat, and they're still doing this baloney like like Joe's talking about, pu- trying to pump up their stock that they're they're way over allocated in, and they need to get get some of their money out of it. But what we've seen the first six months is is kind of like the fire ready aim. You know, even though the Fed has only raised rates <laughs> three times, like that. Like that. The, yeah, this. I mean, even though the Fed has raised only three times, and yes, they can continue to raise as far as the eye can see. But as far as what the where the market has come down to, and what is already reset to down twenty percent for the S and P, worst start since nineteen seventy, it's really fire ready aim. And so now as the Fed continues to go on their hawkish rate path and raising of interest rates, and so, again, company by company as the earnings come out, they've already, these, a lot of these companies have already been fired on. Now it's ready aim. Now they it's can get ready fired aim. On some more. Potentially, but it's going to be on a company by company basis. So to say that Microsoft has to go down another 30% because the Fed has only raised rates three times, in my opinion, is very short sighted because I think that the market has fire ready aimed a lot of these companies. They've, they've shot them out of a cannon before really getting the E and saying, well, the Fed is raising rates. We don't know how far they're going to raise them, but let's just take them all out to the woodshed well, just because. Well, uh, dovetailing, and I always say dovetailing, but on, on Kyle's comment, if you look at the Qs, okay, in the NASDAQ, how many semiconductor and chip stocks do you think are in the, in, in the, in the Qs? And I think an announcement like what Micron had probably would have been done a lot more damage two months ago to the tech sector than it did Friday. Friday. I mean, that's, I'm just exactly. looking at that as case in because point where it was, they, they didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater in that particular index with that particular sector. Because at, at least that's, that, Go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. Well, because it's been fire ready aim. And so even though the Fed might raise rates yep. another three, four, five, six times, a lot of this negativity, in my opinion, has been priced in. But only time will tell. And I agree with Jeff. And Joe, I know we all agree. It's going to take time. And, co- and consumer this- sentiment is bad right now. It's at a it is. It, it, historical but, lows. But, but, but I will say from historic lows, the contrarian, anytime we see consumer sentiment this low, it's been a positive for the market 12 months out. 
So, you know, there's a lot of contrarians. So everyone is trying to handicap. I mean, there is a distinct line in the sand of the two camps of the bullish and the bearish, and they're fighting back and forth trying to handicap this. And what you have to do in your portfolio is be very balanced, very active, and very vigilant to take to, to protect your portfolio from getting taken out to the woodshed. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, Jeff, I know you wanted to talk briefly about some of the economic stats. I know we talked a little bit earlier in this program about some that came out this past week, but what are some of the highlights well, the highlights uh, on uh, Monday, we had durable goods orders, which were actually up four-tenths of a percent, and that makes seven of the last eight months in a row that uh, durable goods have been higher. Pending home sales posted a surprise increase in May, but it's still down year over year. Uh, final first quarter GDP came out, showed that the economy shrank at a 1.6% annual rate. So we now have an official negative GDP for the first quarter. So some are already saying that GDP for the second quarter, some of the numbers they've been seeing are showing negative also. And so we may already be in an official recession. We won't know this until the end of this quarter when they finally give us the the last reading of second quarter's GDP. Which will be at the end of September. Right, end of September. It's going to be it's going to be some time. We already talked about PCE inflation. Uh, another in- statistic that came out on Thursday, they were talking about uh, personal income and spending, and it showed that real disposable income and real consumer spending actually fell in May, adjusted for inflation. Not a big surprise. Construction spending on Friday – I believe it was uh, slightly higher the, than expectations. I'm, I'm pardon me, it, it unexpectedly fell uh, due to single-family home construction slowing. So next week we have factory orders. We have Fed minutes. I'm sure there'll be there'll be a lot of folks pouring over the Fed minutes, searching for any tidbits to give any indication of something that the Fed hasn't already said to us, and they will find nothing. I'm sure. We also have some Fed speakers next week. We have James Bullard and Christopher Waller both speaking on Thursday before Friday's unemployment number. And the expectations I've seen for the unemployment number is no change, 3.6%. Bullard's talking. I'm super excited about that. Kyle, the BFF is going to be speaking. Uh, Stay tuned next Friday. I'm sorry, next weekend. It's Thursday. It's Thursday he speaks. The Bullard short, I swear. Although if he does say anything more dovish, that that would be rocket fuel possibly I mean, for that day. 
What I mean is stay tuned for the show next Saturday to hear mm-hmm. Kyle's reaction. Yeah, to, to the to the Fed speak. But, or, or, but I know well, I know we mentioned this throughout the program and and we hit on this point as often as we can on the Money Wise program of always knowing what you own because you know we've got monthly statements coming out, quarterly statements are going to be coming out in the next handful of weeks. And you know, if you're working with an advisor and you're getting your statements and you're not seeing any activity, if you're seeing your allocations still you know, 60, 70, 80% allocated to the stock market. If you have 15, 20, 25% or really any exposure internationally or in emerging markets, or if you own any kind of bond mutual funds with any kind of duration, whether it's short, intermediate, or long, you really have to start asking the questions, why am I continuing to own these positions? Why am I continuing to have this higher allocations of stocks? And if the only response that you're getting is, well, we're investing for the long term. Okay, all investors want to, majority of investors want to invest for the long term, unless you're a day trader, which we do not recommend anyone venture into that realm at all. But most all people are investing for the long term. But as I said earlier in this program, there are times and market conditions and economic conditions where the best offense is the best defense. It's about keeping the hole shallower. As we've talked on this program for the last 16 years, what we truly believe builds and maintains long-term wealth. It's not how well you do in up years of capturing every percentage point on the upside. It's how shallow you keep your hole in down years, in years like this, because the shallower you keep your hole, the faster you can climb out of it on the other side of this bear market. And so if you're seeing your portfolio with zero activity, asset allocations into into asset classes or uh, global regions, that you shouldn't be owning, and we don't own any international or, or emerging market exposure here at Davidson Capital Management currently, you, know, you really have to start asking yourself why. If I'm 60 years old or 65 years old, retired or getting ready to retire, and I'm still 65 70% invested in stocks, why? And if the answer is we're just staying the course, that's not a good answer. That means that you're with someone that doesn't know what they're doing or they're not managing assets. I'm just going to give so, you an idea idea real quick of active management. We started 2022 at about 65% invested in stocks. That was the very first day of the year. And that first week, we reduced our our stock allocation almost 5% to about 61. By the end of the first quarter, which from a performance point of view, I think the S&P was down less than 5% in the first quarter. By the end of the first quarter, we had reduced our stock allocations to approximately, you know, even more down to 55%. And now we're down to 35% invested in stock. So we made a number of changes uh, to the portfolio here in just the last 90 days. And but we also made tremendous changes on the fixed income yes, side the of the portfolio income side. to produce positive numbers right. in bonds. <clears throat> which there's not a positive bond index that I've been able to track down. But at Davidson Capital Management, our clients in fixed income are positive year to date. <clears throat> so the question is that we're going to have to reduce our, our – or we're going to be reducing our stock allocations even more. And as the Fed – to borrow some uh, – uh, a line from the Federal Reserve, it's data-dependent. 
Uh, the lowest allocation of stocks we've ever had in the history of Davidson Capital Management was 26% in, a, in October of 2008. That was the lowest we've ever been in allocated stocks. We are today lower allocated to stocks, lower than we were at the heights of the COVID crisis in March of 2020, but we're not to where we were in 08. Only time will tell and the data will tell whether we need to get, uh, whether we have, have to get more, even more defensive than we already are in the portfolios. And, you know, and we ran out of time in this last segment of the first hour because I wanted to talk a little bit about cryptocurrency. And so I'm going to have to hold that for next weekend's program because uh, I read some very interesting articles. And I'm really starting to scratch my head if cryptocurrency and particularly these crypto these crypto exchanges or, or these crypto trading firms, if, if these are possibly Ponzi schemes. But we'll have to talk more about that on next weekend's show. But before we go to the top of the hour break and dive into the second hour, you want to wish everyone a happy and safe Fourth of July holiday. Be safe out there. Don't forget to subscribe to the Money Wise Podcast or Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps. And with that, we're going to take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise Guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's MoneyWise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chalked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues? Because I guess it's kind of like 
getting your high school diploma. Maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma. Is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll I guess we'll, we'll go with seventy five percent. Seventy five percent is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement? Now, this question has been, we've heard so many different, is it four times, is it five times, is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary, B is six times the salary, C is eight times the salary, or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C, eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurdly large, honestly. $800,000. $800,000. Well, think about $800,000. Yeah. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa I, son. I know that, but, but, but when you see this number, uh, $800,000, I, I, I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so I guess what I'm saying is I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that. I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember, the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement, and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little, that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents... Our grandparents didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars when they retired, and they they lived. actually actually my 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 grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but I, but I'm thinking about your parents yes. and no, mom no. and mom's no. parents. No, I'm, th- no, I'm, no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last twenty five years. Yes, yes. No, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. 
I, with, I think with, this no, number no, no, scares no, no, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, but it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year. And we think that that's awfully low, and we think the reason they set it at 4% is, one, so that they can continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible, to keep as much money on their on their in their care and control, if you will, so they can keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep, we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two. A popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, People no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement? And the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So, in high school, maybe, and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Well, to let's take. flashback. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. 
I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. Mm-hmm. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them Wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, I, I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, or the first 10 years of the baby boomers, they're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401Ks until the 80s. There's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers. They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand-new cars yeah. in, in the garage. You know, in the real world, most of the, most of the people who had, when they retire – their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, and, and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like they you're have talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, no. is is it bad to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid 50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been 
and I've been, uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it, and so it makes our our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So, question number three. Question number three. Jeff. What percentage of surveyed workers aged fifty five and above said they or their spouse? have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement. A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty two is up from forty two percent in two thousand and three. So the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do, and I hope that we're part of getting that number up. We, absolutely, and, and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators, and you can spend all day having fun with calculations, and the computer program does everything for you, and it's free of charge. Also, one other thing I didn't say, I think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number. As age. far as living? Yes. I, I, I don't. If think you that... look at the actuarial charts, though, Dad, right now, someone age 65, they have a better than 50% chance to live well into their 80s Yeah, that, uh, with modern advances in medicine. So uh, you can disagree with it, but I the totally disagree. Are there. I think that I mean there is very few people are going to live to be ninety two. Very very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four: Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement, and what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you uh, make okay, $50,000, right, right. it's 400000 But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, so a, a, a quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus, plus, 
past the age of 65. All of a sudden, you put 20 years into $250,000. That's not a lot of money. That's about 12,500 a year. Yeah. That's not that's you're not going to be on it's any a grand needs. a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So that's why that's why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see the 800 number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on and what all listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. Not if you live 15, 20 years in it retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't pay. No, so, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you're, you think you're going to live. You've got to watch your actuarials and see where they are, and you have to plan accordingly. You think people are going to live to be in their 90s. No, 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 no. They're statistically, I mean, these I, are statistics I'm, just, I'm I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92. No, that that's that's absolutely true. And only one in four have got that number. That's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though? This is thirty six percent of of age fifty five plus. Thirty six percent of this group have reported to have saved less than ten thousand dollars. Now that that is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. Going to the news. When we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we're continuing the quiz that came out of the wall street journal think you're ready to retire that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz, and we've gotten to question number five. Now, question number five is: What is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired, and what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 60, 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re- one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on it. Because if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, how can they actually retire? 
The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of Social Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying the number right now is 61. And for for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees, they stopped at sixty one. They Which retired at sixty one before they before could get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security, and now and now workers are currently thinking about age 66 i mean i which think would, it, which would be after the majority of them start being able to collect and here's security. something else that's interesting about this statistic remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s so they worked 10 12 14 years before a 401k even existed that's true and and, and really the iras had not been around that long and so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every, you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that, that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age... 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they, they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? Now, the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for uh, say they have worked for pay in in retirement. So I mean that when sixty nine percent are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality only twenty five percent do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part time side job and, and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that. But very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%, C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age. And the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, reduce expenses. So we're just talking about and hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah. One in four. So how could only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? 
That can't be. The number should be 26, <laughs> 25. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National no, Retirement no. Risk Index what at the I, Center what, for what Retirement saying, Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies, everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing the few. We're seeing that one in four that has saved, mm-hmm. that has got this money. But you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right. When, and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're, we're not embarked. Get into politics. Now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the 60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable, Unaffordable Care Act. Act? Health Act. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is, is going to stay the same. Well, excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a this, few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. Hold my water. <laughs> 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day, how many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's and going now to skew Social Security it's benefits It's going to skew entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year in 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, 
the re, but the remaining significantly larger than most. Now this number is is significantly larger than most than most consumers estimate. And a Fidelity poll of pre-retirees age fifty-five to sixty-four found that nearly forty-eight percent believe that they will only need fifty thousand dollars to pay health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical it. costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into you know what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of <clears throat> medical care, like a visit to a emergency room, and what that can cost two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred twenty thousand dollars. That number is too low. Whatever that number is, I'd believe eight hundred thousand before I'd believe two hundred thousand because the truth is we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401Ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This the, is easy. Yeah, this, well, actually, it might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, number, that's, that's, that's shockingly been, you know, low. Well, well, we have been on we have been on for a long time talking about low, participa- low participation rates in 401ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution well, on low, top low, of that. Yeah, and you, when you add those two together... Then you're. Then it's very easy to see how someone, how we have, what was it, thirty some odd, thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz. A household age 65 is living on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and now at three percent inflation. 
how much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I can answer that okay, question, Jeff. At age 75, with 3% inflation, you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation, why they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, in this low interest rate environment by having high allocations to fixed income on their portfolios that that's right and that inflation is eroding purchasing power let me put it in a simpler way $5000 grocery bill today would cost over $9000 in 20 years and i used to use also that car example what your 67 fastback cost Versus what the average cost uh, of a thirty six hundred dollars. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over thirty thousand dollars. That's inflation. Uh, question number twelve: What percentage of households age sixty five through seventy four carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is forty one percent carry housing debt and thirty two percent carry credit card debt. Now this housing figure is from two thousand and ten and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000, according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13. From the quiz, what percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those, 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, Hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, long, a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000, don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that are, I think, in in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and, and be much more comfortable. 
Now, that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is time, that. Is time is time on your side? Well, you know, you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and, and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not having, participating, not participating in, the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key. And pay yourself first and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line. And so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. And so if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in in, in, in retirement, if you want to get a a re, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.